grace, mercy, and peace in you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. Our covenant making king. First, of course, we think of Palm Sunday. We think of Palm Sunday. We think of the king, our our humble king, who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, not on a horse, to show his humility. Also, it's showing his fulfillment of scripture that he comes in on a donkey rather than on a horse. Now, what we have is a covenant-making king. And first, we have to think, what is a covenant? And a covenant is an agreement. Okay. Now, covenants have there's a promissory um, part to it as well, but it's an agreement between two people. And our God loves to make covenants or agreements with us, his people. Tonight, I'd like to focus on three things that we can learn and apply to our lives as we think about these covenants. The three words I'd like you to focus on tonight as we think about it would be consistency, connection, and compassion. Consistency, connection, and compassion. So I know I'm going to do this with you. Could you ask, could you say those words all over again? Consistency, connection, and compassion. So for consistency, we have an old covenant, we have a new covenant. The old covenant is, is with a covenant or agreement that God made with his people from Mount Sinai. Then you've got the new covenant that's promised in Jeremiah 31, and that's enacted, delivered to us with Jesus and Calvary. And we know, as we heard about from the Gospel reading, that it happens through the shedding of the blood of Christ for many. But even before this, we have God providing an agreement or a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. So, if you have a Bible, you can look along with me, read along with me at home, wherever you happen to be. But I want you to hear, here's another covenant, and I'd like you to think about this. Listen to what happens. And for all of you who know Genesis 15 like the back of your hand, this will be an old hat and not that big of a deal. But uh, I think for many of us, we don't even know what's in Genesis 15, do we? You won't know until I start reading it. Here we go. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in the vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens. And count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. That would be close to Babylon, as we think about in other sections of Scripture. To give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, 
and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. Just so you know, that's written in Genesis 15 during the time of Abraham. His grandchildren are those who go into Egypt for just how long? 400 years. 400 years, right? 400 plus years, okay? And so they went in and God punished that nation and brought them out. Remember how they asked him for plunder while they left? Okay? God brought them out. God made a promise. God makes a covenant and he keeps it. He's a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. But listen to this part. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Do you ever think that God is just awful? Okay, that he goes in and he wipes out whole numbers of people in this promised land when the Jews go into this, this new land, the Israelites go into this land, that how could God wipe all those people out? Well, if you think about it, what is the wage of sin? Death. Death. The Amorites' sin has not reached its fullness. But when it does, guess what happens? Death. God brings it by the hand of the Israelites. Verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenites, Kenizzites, Kedmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Kenites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Okay, so all that land is going to be given to them. But what is this about this this flaming torch in this, this pot. What's happening there? Well, that, that's God. That's a picture of God who comes down and he goes in between those pieces. Where is Abram? He's asleep. And what's, what's the big deal about going down in between those halves of the animals? When you make this kind of an agreement and you walk between them, you're saying, may what happened to the animals, remember they're cut in two, may what happened to the animals happen to me if I don't fulfill my part of the agreement of the covenant. Where's Abram? So what God is saying is, I am the only one who has something to fulfill. You're just a receiver. Pretty awesome, huh? Isn't that great what, how God is like that? When we look at Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, we hear about this new covenant that God has with his people. Why does God have this new covenant with his people? Well, let's look and see what Jeremiah has to say. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. We'll go back to that in just a moment. Though I, was, though I was a husband to them, in other words, God is faithful, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Oh, the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. 
for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. God will forgive and remember the sins no more. You know what's happening there? In the Isaiah or the Jeremiah passage, God is saying, I already had experience with my people. They cannot do their part. So I will do it all. Just like that first covenant with Abraham, so the covenant now with us, accomplished by God through Jesus. But now we go on to that Exodus 24, that other covenant. And when we see that one, what I want you to notice is that there is blood that's taken and thrown on the altar, and then there's blood thrown on the people. Did you hear that? Did you ever look at, listen to that before, and you go, what in the world's going on there? Well, the blood is a way of sealing the covenant, saying this is going to happen. We've, we've made this agreement, we've made this arrangement, and it's not a handshake. It's not signing a contract for a lawyer to look at. It's the splashing of blood. And that's on the altar, signifying God, and on the people who are in that agreement relationship with God. They would do it. And it's kind of like the half of the animal. If I don't keep up my part, it's going to be problems. If Israel doesn't keep up their part, they will go into exile. Bad things will happen. No longer will they flourish and do well, but they will be sent to a foreign land. But they say, no, 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 all these things we will do. All what things? All what things? Well, from the time of Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, through Exodus 24 that we read tonight, there's the Ten Commandments, and then there's all these other rules and regulations that God has said, this is what you do now, that I've set you free, that I've made you mine, you're my people, live now in this new land, this way, this is what I want you to do. This is your part of the agreement. And they said, we hear it. Moses wrote it down. We've got it. We'll do it. And, this, and the covenant is sealed. Does that make sense to you? He's a covenant-making, agreement-making king. Now I want you to look at one more thing. As you look at this, so you see how God is consistent? Abraham, through Moses, now with us, through Jesus, he's consistent. He makes the covenant. So I want you to look, and if you have your Bible, you can take a look at this, but it's Exodus chapter 24. The last little part says this. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Saw the God of Israel. Now, in Exodus 33, verse 20, it says this. But... You cannot see my face, God says, for man shall not see me and live. That's kind of wild, isn't it? So to get us to this next part, we know that God wants to connect with us, right? So he's consistent, and he wants to connect with us. And part of that connection is to allow us to have that relationship with him, that meaningful relationship with him. Listen to what it says. They saw the God of Israel. Under his feet were something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, somehow, whatever that meant, and they ate and drank. It's as though they ate and drank in his presence. 
when you think of this Exodus 24 passage, have you ever had blood dripping on you? Have you ever had a lot of blood? Can you imagine having blood thrown on you? Okay. Can you you can probably imagine that because some of you have had it, right? I've had it before. Have you, can you imagine actually what he's describing here? That they saw God and they ate and drank in his presence. What what kind of words would you use to describe that experience? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> Awe-inspiring. Beyond words. Have you ever had a situation in your life where you just couldn't make up a word that would really fit what's going on in front of you? That had to be what they were experiencing. The presence of God mingled in it. God makes this covenant and it connects them. They're given access to be with him. I'm thinking of being, having access to be with him. Remember Joshua? Joshua, after Moses died, again, he couldn't go into the promised land. And then God is saying, Joshua, go into that promised land. He said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Is there anything in life that's discouraging for you? Any times when you are not very courageous, you live in fear? Terrified, fearful, discouraged. When those times come, do we need a change of circumstance or do we need a change of perspective? You see, what I'd like for us to do tonight, when we come and we, well, you're not going to come, I'm going to come to you. When I come to you and I bring communion, what I want you to do is I want you to think God is consistent. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I want you to think of connection. God with you. And just like Joshua is taking the people into this brand new land, who knows what lies before him? God says, be courageous. For I am with you. Other times when you need a brother or sister in Christ to remind you that God is with you, other times when you need to reach out to others and let them know you have a need to be reminded of that. I'm beginning to try and qualify where the battles in life are coming from in my life. And I'm using three major categories. My identity in Christ, my security in Christ, and my purpose in Christ. And oftentimes what I'm finding now in my life is that Satan likes to attack my purpose in life by making me, by distracting me and keeping me from certain things. I need to be aware of that and bring it up with somebody else to say, I'm struggling right now because Satan is attacking my purpose. So that they might remind me that God is with me to lead me where I don't feel like going, but I might be afraid to go. Next, Psalm 23. If God is with us, when I think of that when I think of that psalm, I think of two, three key words. God provides. The Lord is my shelter, my shepherd. I shall not want. He provides. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. 
and said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. And I take the communion tonight. I want to remember that God is with me. Isn't it great that we take it as often as we possibly can? That we might remember on a continual basis that God is consistent and that God is connected with me for me. So I don't need to be afraid, whatever is happening in life, whether I'm going to a new place like Joshua, tackling something bigger than I could do, or I'm dealing with death. God is sufficient to take care of me. He's with me. And then finally, you know, we think of compassion. And I think of the new covenant with that, because if God simply left us under the old covenant and said, I've done this for you. I've set you free. Now do this. If you don't do this, well, there's going to be consequences. If we were set up so that we had to do our part of the bargain, how would any of us do? Isn't it great compassion that God gave us the Son Jesus? Think of what a mess we would be in, even more than we get ourselves into on a regular basis without Jesus. Isn't, doesn't Paul have a right when he writes in the book of Romans? The good I would... That I don't do. The evil I don't want to do, I do. That I keep on doing. And then he says this about himself. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? You know what it says next? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. When we, you know what the communion is also called? It's called the Eucharist. That's thanksgiving. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God that you see me in my estate and you do something compassionate for me, giving me Jesus. But I want you to think about those last little words from Exodus 24. Because, you see, they saw God and they ate and drank in his presence. You know what? happens for us tonight. We not only get a chance, we, we see God in Jesus. But you know what? We don't only get to eat and drink in his presence. We get to drink, eat and drink his presence for us. We believe in the real presence. This is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ. We take in the very body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. We don't just eat and drink in God's presence. We eat and drink his presence, which changes us. And that we live forgiven. We live new. We live joyfully connected to our God, who is consistent, connected, and compassionate for us. Yeah.